Thank you both. Well, we hope that you had a good week. Um, on behalf of my family, I uh, want to thank so many of you who uh, either came to the visitation or the funeral or sent a card or a text or a phone call. And uh, my family, uh, my mom and dad and my sister and uh, all the uncles uh, were blown away by uh, the love and kindness that you uh, showed us this last week. Um, I was not surprised. Um, I, I knew what kind of family we belonged to, but uh, it was it was special to us. And uh, so thank you for that. We, we greatly appreciate it. Um, I was telling a friend yesterday, uh, he was asking how we were doing, and I said, you know, uh, this week has brought alive for me once again the verse that says, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Uh, <laughs> Grandpa uh, was a character. Uh, he was at times a mess, um, but he loved us well, and uh, he loved the Lord. And I'm so thankful that we got to witness uh, him give his life to the Lord and, and watch him be baptized uh, at the age of 83, um, and to know now that the Lord has him in his care better than we ever could. And uh, what, a, what a good week of family uh, it has been. I hope that it's been a good week of family for you as well. Um, as we celebrate uh, the holiday and remember those that have sacrificed for us. Um, and uh, certainly, uh, we want to do that today, uh, and I uh, hope that we have. Uh, if you would, though, go ahead and turn to John chapter 4, switching gears just a little bit. We're going to be looking at John chapter 4. Specifically, we're going to be looking at verses 23 through 26. This is on the tail end, sort of of a story that's probably pretty familiar for most of you, the story of the woman, the Sumerian woman at the well. But we're not really looking this week at her whole story. We're specifically wanting to look at worship. As we start a new sermon series over the next couple of weeks of looking at what worship is, how we are to worship, why it's so vital for us. And you may be asking, okay, I don't. how does this tie into everything? Well, you'll remember, uh, or hopefully you remember, that our theme for the entire year is healthy believer, healthy church. And how, how do we have a healthy church? How do we have a church that's robust and doing well and producing other disciples and the church that we all want to have? And the answer to that is we must be healthy as individuals. And so we started this year so far looking at First uh, John and, and exploring the test, exploring, uh, the examining ourselves for how... Uh, or what a healthy believer looks like, and applying those to ourselves, and saying, am I a healthy believer? And then we looked at the story, uh, the life of Samson, to look at what an unhealthy believer looks like. What does it look like when we ignore those warnings? What, what does it look like when we don't focus on the Lord, and we allow ourselves to do whatever we want to do, and we saw the consequences of that, the great tragedy in the life of Samson. And so what worship is going to do, though, is worship is, going, is a bridge between us being healthy as individuals and what a healthy church looks like. Because worship is one of those things that is both an individual uh, practice in our own lives, in our quiet of our own homes that we should do, but worship is also something that we should do corporately. 
something we should do as a church. And so we're going to look at this topic uh, in detail for the next few weeks, um, just exploring what our worship should be and, and how we should do that well. So hopefully you, by now you found John chapter 4. Like I said, we're going to be reading verses 23 through 26. And so as we read God's word, would you please stand with us to honor that together? John chapter 23, Jesus is speaking here. He says, but the hour is coming and is now here when tr the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Let me, and then it goes on. It says, The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Let me pray. Father, we come before You this morning, and we are so incredibly thankful for how you love us. We, thankful, we are thankful this morning that you do meet us in the common day places, that you meet us at the wells of life where we get to interact with you, we get to speak with you, to engage you, to ask questions and hear responses. Lord, that you desire to be active in such a way in our lives every day, every moment. Father, I pray this morning as we Look at what worship is. Lord, as we kind of get this cursory view this morning to kick us off. Lord, that you would remind us of who you are. That you would remind us of our appropriate response to you. Lord, that we would take that and run with it this week. Lord, as we behold you in all the many ways that we do throughout our life. Father, in this moment, I pray, Lord, open our ears and open our hearts as we are listening. Pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. To put this in some context, uh, not only is worship a bridge, so to speak, between uh, individual being an individual believer and a healthy individual believer and being um, a healthy church, but it also fits into the five what I'm calling task. I don't really love that word. I just haven't found a better one because task has a negative connotation to it. Task sounds like something that uh, a master might do that it's it's drudgery, and hopefully that's not the case. Um, but it, it goes into the five things that we are to be doing as a church. And we've looked at these several times in Acts chapter 2. We looked at it early in my time here. And then we looked at it again at the beginning of this year about what those five things are. And one of those is evangelism. That was the first one that we saw. And evangelism we see in verse 40 and 41 of Acts 2 that we are to be sharing the gospel, sharing the good news of what God has done and the offer that he extends us as, uh, as humans, as, as his children. Second, we are to be teaching, verse 42. We are to be rightly dividing the word for each other. And this happens in various ways. It can happen one-on-one. -on -one. It can happen in a Sunday school setting. It happens on Sunday mornings when, when we preach, um, or it should happen in those times. It also happens in small group, and, all, and we do it in different ways in all of those areas. Um, and so you need to be a part of each one of those because you're going to experience something a little bit different. With each one, we also have prayer in verse 42. We see the church, early church, praying together. And this is a vital component of what we're to do as a church. 
It's to mark who we are as believers, that we consistently go to God in prayer. We see it in the lives of so many. We see it in the life of Abraham. We see it in the life of Moses and David and Jesus himself and the disciples. Those that understand God, those that truly have a relationship with him, go to him in prayer, and that is a mark of their life. Unlike, say, Samson, who we, we don't hardly him, see him ever go to the Lord in prayer. And then we also saw in 44 and 46, we see three that we kind of clump together, encouragement, generosity, and hospitality. Um, we are to encourage one another, to, to bear one another up at all times. We're to be generous to others, not only with our resources, but with our time. And for some of us, that time aspect is harder. I know for in my life, uh, it's much easier many times to give my resources than it is for me to give my time. But we're to be generous with both. And we're also to show hospitality. Uh, we should have people in our homes, not only church folks, but those outside these four walls, to develop relationships um, and to encourage and, and show each other uh, love and compassion. And so all of those things are tied in. But the fifth thing that we talked about, the fifth topic or thing that we're to be doing is worship. The fifth thing that we're to be doing is worship. And we see that in Acts chapter 2 as well. But as we explore worship, the first question that we come to or that we need to ask is, what is worship? What is worship? And I'm so thankful this morning. I want to recommend to you a couple of books uh, as I've been studying this topic and going through this in addition to the word um, Two books that I, that I want to suggest to you just as we go through this, this whole sermon series on worship. One would be Donald Whitney's Spiritual Disciplines. Um, if you have not read that as a believer, you need to go get that. Um, and, and the chapter on worship is wonderful. The second one would be Sing um, by the Gettys, G-E-T-T-Y. Um, and it's a wonderful uh, explanation of why we worship as well. Um, so Spiritual Disciplines by Donald Whitney and Sing. Um, by the Gettys, G-E-T-T-Y. Um, but in answering this question, what is worship? Whitney says in his book, worship is focusing on and responding to God. Worship is focusing on and responding to God. And we see this in several different ways. I have two listed here for you this morning. We see it in Revelations chapter 4. As we behold the throne room of God and we see the cherubim around the throne and they are singing to God and, and declaring his glory. We see it again in chapter 5, 12 and 13 as we behold the elders going before the Lord and offering their crowns to him. We see it in other places as well. We see it in Thomas as Thomas focuses and beholds Jesus Christ resurrected. And he says, my Lord, my God, he has an appropriate response. We see it in, during the miracles. We see it at the crossing of the Red Sea. After that happens and the enemies of God are destroyed, we see Israel rejoice and worship the Lord that we serve. We see it in Isaiah and the vision that he has of the Lord in all his glory and the appropriate response of falling on his knees. We see it all over Scripture that when individuals focus on God, when they see Him or experience Him, they are moved to respond. And that response looks a lot of different ways. It can be singing. It can be writing a poem, if that's your thing. It can be falling to your knees. It can be silence. It can be giving. 
It can be a lot of different things. It can be service. It can be obedience, certainly as well. And so what is worship? It's focus. But who are we to focus on? Moving a little farther. Who are we to focus on? Well, obviously in our definition, it says to focus on God. Here in our passage, Jesus says that we are focusing on the Father. But the sad truth is, is that for many of us, we worship things where that are not in that, or they are not God, they are not the Father. Worship really is wherever we place our focus. The classic example for this is for you to look at, take your calendar and look at where you devote your time, and then to take your checkbook and look at where you devote your money. And those will tell you the focus of your life. And, and to a certain extent, that's true. I mean, obviously, if we look at our calendar, what we see is that we spend a lot of time, it, take away work, take away uh, sleep, which probably predominate most of our hours. But what do you do with that spare time? What do you do with not, not the must-haves, like, you know, you're going to have a house payment, you're going to have utilities, but what do you do with your discretionary budget? Where is your focus? And sadly, for many of us, our focus is in other places, and we get distracted easily. We look this way and that way, and we become like Peter who steps out of the boat, and as long as his eyes are on the Lord, he can walk on water. But as soon as he is distracted, even for but a moment, he sinks like a rock. So we too need to focus on the Lord, and that's where our focus should be. It should be on God. But how do we focus? How do we focus on God? How do we focus on the invisible? This is what gets us so caught up. This is what creates such a problem is that we are easily distracted by things that are tangible. It's easy to get distracted by money. Money is tangible and the results of having money are tangible. It's easy to get focused on family because family is tangible and we see the results of it immediately. It's easy to get focused on our hobbies or on our likes because those are tangible things that we can hold on to. And we get distracted from God so often because he's invisible. How do we focus on something we cannot see? Well, we have three ways. Three ways that we can focus on him. First, we focus on God through creation. Romans 1 explains to us very clearly that God created all of this and that he speaks to all men through his creation. You want to see God? You want to focus on him? Go outside at night. Behold the stars and the heavens and all that he has created. You want to see, experience God? Look at a sunset and respond to the beauty of that sunset. Nevermore have I maybe worshipped the power of God than when you stand in front of a bull African elephant with a line of electric fence and a paintball gun between you and him. Trust me, you will understand the power of God a little bit better. You will also understand the phrase, I just have to outrun you, not at him. Like, it's a massive thing, and there's an appropriate response there. That's why many of us should probably put our TVs back in a box and go outside once in a while. My wife is shaking her head vigorously. Okay? That is one way that we can focus on him through in a tangible way that we see and can respond to. But there's a better way. And the better way is his word. 
How do we focus on the invisible? We focus on his creation, but we also can see him through his word. We see it in 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21, that God inspired the word and carried his word through to fulfillment. You want to know God? You want to focus upon him so that you can respond to him? Then dive into the word. Have a quiet time. How many of us open the word on a daily basis with an expectation that we're going to see and know him and that it's going to cause us to respond? That's the key. Many of us, I would guess, would say, oh, yeah, I get in the word daily or I have a quiet time. But we have no expectation that we're going to actually meet him when we go visit the word. We have no expectation that there is going to be a need for a response when we see the word. And I would go one step farther, that if we are not viewing him in the word, if we are not viewing him in his creation during the week, that we should not expect to be ready to worship on Sunday. You want to know why worship on Sunday sometimes feels drab? You want to know why worship on Sunday sometimes feels like it has no life? It's because you are not focusing on him throughout the week. And so you have nothing to respond to. If you do not recount for yourself the gospel, if you do not recount for yourself how God has saved you from your own sin and now gives you the hope of heaven on a daily basis and especially on Sunday morning, then you have nothing to respond to in worship. If you do not look at his word and look at his power, look at his majesty, look at his grace, look at his justice, look at his strength throughout the word of God on a daily basis, then when you come to Sunday morning, you have nothing to respond to. And so no wonder our worship sometimes lacks life. No wonder sometimes our worship lacks muster. Sometimes no wonder our worship lacks heart. You can't be afraid of a lion if he's not right in front of you. Like you're not going to respond to it. There's no reason to run if there's no threat. In the same way, you will not respond to God unless you focus upon him. And focus upon him regularly. So we focus upon him through his creation. We focus upon him through his word. And we focus upon him through his son. John 14, 7. If you want to just take a quick jump over there. John, Jesus is talking to the disciples. And he says this in verse in chapter 14, verse 7. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip, not understanding this, goes on. He says to him, Lord, show us the Father, and that is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you, yet you do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? Jesus is saying, You want to know God? Then observe me. I am. I am. Do you want to focus upon the the God of all creation, the lover of your soul? Then we should be devouring Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We should never get enough of it. As we attempt to see who God is and what he says and how he acts and how he responds to other people and how he responds to us. And it should move us to a response ourselves. It should move us to worship. And whatever form that looks like for you in that moment, 
whether it be obedience or service or song or giving. You want to focus on the invisible, then we focus on creation, we focus on his word, and we focus on the sun. But how do we worship? And this is where we really get back to the crux of our passage this morning. The woman here has been asking Jesus a series of questions and part of their discussion begins to center on the fact that the Jews believed that Jerusalem was the geographic center, that that's where one had to worship. And she's asking him about that, saying, you guys believe that we're doing this incorrectly. And Jesus does something pretty amazing here. Jesus refocuses how we understand worship. Jesus' response here gets rid of a geographic location and tells us the real truth, the real heart behind worship, literally. How do we worship? Jesus says that we must worship first in spirit. First, we must worship in spirit. He says here that the Father, God, is spirit. And therefore, there is a need for us to worship in spirit. What does he mean by that? Well, it's a connection between our spirit and his. First, we understand through Paul and others and through the rest of Scripture that we cannot worship correctly if we do not have the spirit inside of us. If we have never given our lives to Jesus Christ, if we've never made him Lord and Savior, then God has never put the Spirit, the Holy Spirit inside of us to indwell us, and therefore we cannot worship correctly. Paul would say it's worshiping in vain. It's worshiping without a point. So we must have the Spirit in ours. Second, we see that We see that the Spirit, there's a connection between His Spirit and ours. And this is kind of a mystery of Scripture, of how God joins His Spirit to ours and conforms us into His image where we want to worship Him in the way that He knows is best. But there's a deeper meaning here that the Spirit is the heart. It's emotion. It's It's the balancing act. Okay, We're going to see two things here. It's a balancing act between the heart and the mind when we come to worship. There is room in worship for emotion. In fact, it is a vital part of what we do. But too often, I love what Francis Chan says in his book, Forgotten God. Too often, we don't want to worship in the Spirit as Baptists because we're afraid we're going to become the Pentecostals down the street. And the Pentecostals don't want to worship in truth because they're afraid they're going to become the logs, the bumps on a log that the Baptists are up the street. There's a balance in between. We must worship with heart. We must worship with emotion. For me to go to a funeral or to go to a wedding and not have some emotion there for the person that I'm connected to would be wrong. For me to go to my grandfather's funeral and never shed a tear, never express any emotion, never express any sorrow, even if it's just through a word, people would think there was something wrong with that. For me to go to a wedding and not smile, and I've seen that done, it's weird. So if you need an invitation, this is your invitation. When you come to worship, smile. It's okay. I promise you, we're not going to kick you out. It's not in the constitution of the church. I looked. 
You can smile. Praise the Lord. You can raise your hand if you want to. Now you may start down here. That's okay. We'll get you going. We'll get you to here eventually. And then you'll be like me. Okay? By the way, there's a great YouTube video about this. But we'll get you to here and eventually we will get your hands raised. Okay? We'll, get, we'll slowly step you into it. I know that scares the snot out of some of you. But this is your permission to do it. It's okay to have heart and emotion because when you experience the Lord of all creation, when you experience your Savior who died for you, who has shown you more love than any father could ever show, then there has to be heart. There has to be. However, our hearts can get us in trouble. And so Jesus does not just speak to worshiping in spirit he also says we must worship in truth this is the mind because if we worship just with heart and emotion what happens so often we steer off course a little bit don't we we get really wrapped up in what's going on and we kind of venture away and we kind of get distracted by things and so there must be a balance we also have to worship in truth God tells us very clearly who he is. And for us to worship something other than what he says he is, is blasphemy. And it's wrong. So we don't get carried away. Okay? We don't get carried away in our emotion. We don't get carried away in the moment, so to speak. We still have control. This is what I I tell people that, that talk about speaking in tongues. I have no problem with you speaking in tongues, but there's got to be an interpreter. Because Paul makes it very clear, Scripture makes it very clear, that worship is not about chaos. Worship is not, and our time as a family is about the edification of the body and worship and glorifying God. And so in order to do that, if you're going to speak in tongues, whatever you think that looks like, then you must have an interpreter. Otherwise, and I love the way Paul says this, and I'm probably going to say a word that parents wouldn't want me to say, shut up and sit down. Be quiet. Because you are distracting. You may be worshiping in heart, but you are not worshiping in mind, so you need to quit it out, cut it out. There's a balance. There's a balance. We worship with both because God has given us both. It breaks my heart. So many of my friends from high school, so many of my friends from college, I say, why aren't you in church anymore? Why don't you, you were so strong in high school. What's the deal? And they said, I got tired of checking my brain at the door. I got tired of checking my brain at the door of the, of the sanctuary. And I say, oh, my friend, God never asked you to check your brain at the door. He wants you to use it. Having faith in him does not mean you have to be dumb. Having faith in him does not mean you have to suspend all reality. He wants us to go deep. He wants us to think deeply. He wants us to think rightly. And so we need to have both, spirit and truth. Back to the who, though. So we've looked at focusing on God. We've looked at how we are to worship. We're to worship in spirit and truth. But who do we worship? Who are we responding to? I love what the woman says here. Jesus is talking about Worshiping in spirit and truth. She's, he's talking about that there's no more need for a geographical center. That, that you don't have to go to the temple. That you'll be able to worship anywhere. 
By the way, he's not saying don't go to church there. And she responds, though, and says, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. This is what she's doing. She's saying, you know what? You sound pretty smart. And you're telling me that I don't have to go to Jerusalem. And you're telling me that God's spirit and that we need to worship in spirit and truth. But there's supposedly this Messiah coming. And this Messiah guy, he's the one that's really going to tell us what's right and what's wrong. He's the one that I should really listen to. So, like, all what you're saying is good and well, but I'm just going to wait. And Jesus looks at her and says, hi, you're talking to him. What Jesus, Jesus doesn't do this very much. If you read throughout the, the New Testament, there are not very many times that Jesus, when he was here on earth in those three years of ministry, says, I am the Messiah. There are, there are very few times. In fact, the only one that I could think of as I was looking through is when he's standing before the Sanhedrin and they're asking him questions and he responds, I am. He doesn't do it very often. But he looks at this lady and she's saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going to wait on the Messiah. He's the one that's really going to tell us how to do all this stuff. And Jesus looks at her and says, that's me. This woman, see, she knows the truth, but she doesn't see what's right in front of her until Christ reveals her identity. And then do you catch what she does as soon as she re responds? As soon as she understands what has happened. He says, in verse 26, he says, I who speak to you am he. And then the disciples come back and they're confused as they normally are. And the woman says, and the woman in 28 says, So the woman left her water jar and went into town and said to people, Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? That's an appropriate response. She sees the Messiah. She understands who he is. She knows what's going on. And her response is to run to everybody else and say, You have got to check out this guy. And then she brings all these people back and they sit and they marvel at Christ. When we see Christ, when we pursue Him and focus on Him through His creation, when we focus on Him through the Word, when we focus on Him as the Son of God, we should respond. In fact, I would go so far as to say, as we must respond. The woman gets it. The woman gets it here. What about you? What about you this morning? Do you worship in vain? Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You've never made Him Lord. Then your worship has no meaning. You can't do it. You cannot accomplish it without Him. Are you focusing on Him? Or have you been so distracted by things this week that you've misplaced that? Do you wonder why you come on Sunday morning? Do you wonder why in your quiet time it seems dry? Do you wonder why worship sometimes feels like a drudgery? Are you focusing on Him? Are you focusing on something different? Because we can't expect to have response to something we've never seen. Lastly, are you responding? Are you responding this morning? 
when God comes and He speaks to your heart, when you read through Scripture, when you read through the lives of those that have gone before, we talked last week about the great cloud of witnesses and what God has done in their life. When you hear the testimony of someone else that stands before you and says, this is what God's done in my life this week. When you remember what Christ did for you on the cross, do you respond? Do you worship? That looks like a lot of different things. Not just singing. It's obedience. It's silence for some. It's giving. It's all the things that we've talked about, really. The five things, evangelism, teaching, prayer, generosity, hospitality. It's all part of the response to this God that we serve, this God that we see. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. We're just going to have a time of <laughs> response. How has God spoken to you this week? Not just through the sermon this morning. How has He spoken to you through your quiet time? How has He spoken to you through circumstances this week? How has He spoken to you through other people? When you see this great God that we have, how are you moved to respond this morning? Let me pray with you. Father, we come before you and Lord, when we think about who you are and what you've done, not only in our lives, but in the lives of those that have gone before us, when we think about how you created all things out of nothing, when we think about how you sustain, Lord, when we think about how you love your creation, when we think about your sacrifice on the cross, Lord, we must respond. We must worship. We must sing your praises. We must fall to our knees. Lord, there should be emotion. There should be truth in the mind as well. Lord, because you created us that way. Father, our prayer is a church. Lord, help us to focus on you. And then help us to understand what the correct response looks like in the various ways that that is. Father, we pray this in your name. Amen.